Um, hello, church. My name is Juna, and we will now be reading today's passage from Acts 10, verses 1 through 8 and 30 to 33. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. All right. Well, uh, it's me again, but don't worry. I'm not speaking because for the month of July, uh, we have our guest speaker month. Uh, we do this every July just to get some fresh voices to our church. Um, so we're really excited for this month because we have great speakers lined up. And to start off our guest speaker month, I'm really excited to introduce our first guest speaker. Uh, today we have Pastor Benjamin Bay. He's the lead pastor of City Life Presbyterian Church in Boston. He's a SoCal native, but doing ministry out in Boston. He's married to Jeannie, has two daughters, Karis and Jordan. Um, I'm really excited for Ben to be here. He's like a COVID friend that I met. Uh, I, how did we meet? I don't even know. Uh, he doesn't know either. We just met uh, online through COVID. We've been talking, and this is the first Sunday where I could meet him in person. So I'm really excited and glad to have him uh, share the word with us. So if you give him a, a hand as he comes up to give the word. Appreciate it. All right. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. As, as Eugene mentioned, we have known each other for some time, but, you know, blame COVID, opposite coast, and first time actually seeing each other live. So it's good to meet him in person and actually Jay as well. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you all. I'm grateful. Um, our church in Boston has been going through the book of Acts for some time now. Uh, and I wanted to share a word with you here in Acts 10. The book of Acts as a whole, if we're to zoom out a little bit, is the unfolding of chapter 1, verse 8. That's the thesis statement of the entire book, where it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Luke is capturing the story of the early church and how the movement took off, the movement of the Holy Spirit, and what happens as the gospel Jesus is introduced to different kinds of people, to different regions, to different cultures. What happens as that takes off? And Luke is capturing that story here in the uh, book of Acts. 
here in chapter 10, then we see a glimpse of that unfolding reality by the name of Cornelius as we meet this man, a powerful Gentile, meaning a non-Jew, powerful Gentile. What happens to him and the people around him as he then encounters the living God and the good news of the gospel and what that might mean for us today, even as modern people listening in and what the gospel meant for Cornelius and going forward. So three things I want to highlight us uh, today. God invites Cornelius to recognize him, recognize him, and then to follow him and live for him. So first, God invites Cornelius to recognize him. Verse one again, let's read that together here. Follow along with me. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Okay, so let's pause there. Notice that he is mentioned by name. We know his name, Cornelius. That's one. Notice again here, he's a Roman centurion, a non-Jew Roman centurion. Centurion, think like army captain, overseeing about a hundred people. Okay. He's a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, referring to a certain region, and that's his area of jurisdiction. So for us, as modern people listening in, Luke is simply trying to highlight, think hierarchy, think systems, think ranks, and we simply need to know that he's a non-Jew, a Gentile, pretty high up there, with a lot of social power. Then Luke provides this extra description going on in verse 2 comma, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, being a centurion, we know that he's not a Jew, but he's a devout man devoted to God, feared God. So what does that mean? Is he a seeker? Is he attending the synagogue every single week just to see and check out what this God of the Jewish people are like? Or is he a full-on convert? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. We don't know. But at the very least, what we do know is that he is taking interest in the validity of the God of the Jewish people, which for him would be a foreign God, you see? He's going out of his way, together with his family, all of his household, it says, to enter into a different cultural and spiritual framework to then understand life which says something about his humility and intentionality and seeking a foreign concept and a foreign God. So to this Cornelius, pretty high up there, at the very least, taking interest in the God of the Jewish people, God comes to him. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, which means 3 p.m., which means daylight, which means you can't miss this. About the ninth day of the day, he saw clearly in a vision and an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? What is it, Lord? Not who the heck are you? What is this thing that's happening here? But who is it or what is it, Lord? One, notice that it is God who calls Cornelius. God is calling out his name. He makes the initiative. 
Cornelius. Two, Cornelius responds by recognizing him. What is it? Lord. Not who the heck are you, but what is it? Lord. This is what we see in Scripture all throughout, and I want to highlight this reality. The God of Christianity, if he is indeed true, if Scripture does say something that is true about who he is, then what we can tell from the pattern of Scripture is that the God of Christianity is in the business of revealing himself, to make himself known to his people, not hide himself. Even from the very beginning, the way he's described as walking around in the Garden of Eden in Genesis the way he approaches Adam and Eve when they're at the lowest point. Where are you, Adam? Is it because he doesn't know where he is? No, he is seeking him out. I am interested in where you are and who you are. He's the one who is calling out to him, Adam, where are you? The rest of the Old Testament, all the ways that he shows up to his people through a burning bush, the rest he split open, wind, fire, rain, angel, judges, prophets, kings, priests, the pattern throughout scripture that we notice is like our God is in the business of making himself known and not playing hard to get. Fast forward all the way to the end of scripture, then we see a letter called what? Revelation. Which means, what does revelation mean? To reveal. To make known. Now the genre is a little bit funky for us 21st century modern people, right? So we have to do some work homework to understand what's happening there. But the heart of that letter is to, to, is to speak to people who are persecuted, to give them the word of assurance, to say this is what is happening and this is what is to come. It is to reveal who God is and what he is doing in our midst. That's the pattern of scripture that we see all throughout. God's disposition, natural desire to make himself known and reveal himself to his people. Now, you might think then, well, I don't get visions at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. How come the angel is not showing up in front of me and calling out my name, Cornelius? How come that's not happening? Which is a very normal question, whether you're a Christian or not. But I do want to point out something that I want you to consider this morning, if that's a question that is lingering in your mind. I want you to at least wrestle with the person of Jesus. In the middle of scripture then, we do have this God-man. At the very least, we have to wrestle with the fact that our God is interested in making himself known through his son, Jesus, taking on flesh. Why dwell among us, John 1.14, if he is not in the business of revealing himself? So whatever the reason might be for the angel to not appear next to me right now and call out your name, whatever the reason might be, it can't be that because he doesn't love us. It can't be that because he doesn't see us. He doesn't want to make himself known to us because how would you explain Jesus taking on our flesh, becoming like one of us? When we see through the lens of who and what Jesus has done, and we can see again the pattern of God who loves to reveal himself to his people. So friends, let me ask you this morning. I don't know you. You don't know me. 
But here's a question for us to wrestle with. Where in your life are you yearning for God to show up? Where in your life are you hoping that an angel shows up and calls you by name to say, here you go? Where, what area in your life are you seeking him to pop up in your life? The next immediate step in your life, this particular relationship that you are wrestling with, this ongoing addiction that I have, or the source of my anxiety, whatever the case might be. Where are you hoping and desiring and yearning for this living God, if he is indeed true, to show up in your life, call you by name? In that moment, in that very space, perhaps the word that has come into you this morning and a reminder is this, our God loves to reveal himself to his people. It's all throughout scripture. He is a making himself known God. As we see most clearly in Jesus, our 3 p.m. vision of Jesus, he's in the business of making himself known to his people. But two, also pay attention to this. Like Cornelius, do pay attention to him. Be ready to respond. Seek and ye shall find. Keep searching, whatever that might be. It just might be that there are signs and voices of Jesus surround signing you. At the same time, you are not able to actually recognize it. You haven't unlocked that reality. What is that for you? What area in your life are you wrestling with for God to show up and call you by name and ask you to be recognized? Consider that this morning, that our God loves to reveal himself to his people most prominently as we look at Jesus. But here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. If he does call, if he is a calling God, if he's a making himself known kind of God, and if he does call, friends, you better follow. And that's what we need to continue to see here in the story of Cornelius. God invites Cornelius to not only recognize him, but even beyond that, to follow him, to obey him. Verse 4. Let's go there. And he said to him, this is the angel now showing up in Cornelius' life, Cornelius, and here's what he has to say to Cornelius. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Verse 5, and now send men to Joppa. This is the message now to Cornelius. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who was called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke, who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So what's the message that the angel is saying to Cornelius after calling him? Cornelius, ooh, he's calling me. And what happens? What's the message after that? I see your prayer and I see your giving. God has been taking notice of Cornelius as a generous and faithful person, even as a non-Jew, right? But in that moment, as a reader, as a reader, what is our expectation that comes after this? What are you hoping to see God say to Cornelius as you hear this? Because of your prayers, because of your generosity, Cornelius, 
you'll be transferred over to that better cohort so that you can make better pay. You will land that job that you've been wanting for because I've been taking notice and you've been praying a lot. You've been pretty generous to your people. Good for you. Now, here's your promotion. Isn't that what our eyes and our ears are trained to hear from this? Cornelius, here comes a reward. Isn't that what our modern eyes and ears are trained to notice in this moment? Here's the fulfillment of all of your dreams and hopes for you, Cornelius, or your name. If he's going to recognize me for all the good that I've done, it better be a, here's a promotion. Here's a fulfillment of everything that you've been longing for. It's almost impossible for us to not think that way when the air that we constantly breathe in in our lives is the American dream, is the strive for more, bigger, better meritocracy, climb to the top. You know, this is certainly true of the cultural air in Boston. And I'm going to venture to guess that I'm sure it's the case here as well, perhaps more so in different pockets in the Bay Area. I'm not an expert, but that's the sense I get. This is not a place, I'm guessing, that you just want an easy life and you know the cost of living is so low, so you're going to come crash here. That's my guess. There's a striving, the air of striving around you, perhaps bleeding down from San Francisco, whatever the case might be, you're trying to look ahead something. You're trying to start a program or school or a new job, a new opportunity to innovate something, to start a family and to figure things out as you go live. The air that we breathe in left and right, whether you're in Boston, San Francisco, this area, whatever the case might be, especially in the coastal cities, there's the air, constant air that we are breathing in that forms us to be about more, bigger, more comfort, more predictability. And we need to be mindful of that air that we breathe in. Whether you recognize it or not, friends, you're breathing in that air. And it's like air. You don't see it, but you're breathing in it. You're being shaped by it, formed by it. It necessarily then trains our eyes and ears to hear something. Cornelius, it must be a reward. And this is where we need to honestly take a look at the culture within the church. Because it's easy for us to say, oh, we live in this world that's constantly giving this message. Well, have we taken a look at the culture of the church? How successfully that air has seeped into the culture of the church. And this is why the prosperity gospel, essentially an American product that's packaged with the message of hope of Christianity, is prosperous, why it makes sense to many people, many of us. Now, you might hear prosperity gospel and think pastors with private jets, right? But the luring DNA of prosperity gospel, if I follow God, if I give alms away to people, if I am generous, if I pray enough, then good things will or shall happen to me. That reality, that DNA is ingrained in all of us by the air that we are breathing in, whether you have a private jet or not. Are you in a place where you say, you know what, if, Ben, you're right. If an angel showed up right next to you and called out my name, I'll do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. I'll do everything. 
Will you though? What if what comes out of the mouth of the angel after calling, hey, your name, is nothing like you imagined him to say? What if it's not the stamp of approval of your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, of your personal dreams, of your family plan for all of your career goals? What if it's not your name followed by a reward? See, it's not enough for us to want him to show up in our lives. But when he does show up, if he is showing up, then the question is, will you follow him? Where in your life are you desiring God to speak and to show up in your life? Well, here, okay, well, are you willing to follow him if he does say something? Even if it's not the reward that our eyes and our ears have already been conditioned to pay attention to. Now, I don't know. We don't know what that five-year, ten-year plan for Cornelius, his personal dream must have been. Luke doesn't tell us, right? We don't know. But what we do know is that God tells Cornelius this. He tells him, I've seen your almsgiving. I've seen your generosity. I've seen your prayer life. Now go find Peter and Joppa. Huh? It's not the promotion to that centurion job that I've been looking. No, no, go find Peter and Joppa. And he sends his men there, two of them. He has no clue what's going to come after this. Finding Peter and Joppa, okay, we're here. he said it. So as a centurion, army captain, he knows what that's like. He executes. And here's a word for us as we take a look at that pattern that we notice here in Scripture. Sometimes, friends, God simply gives us the next immediate step. And that's okay. Perhaps that's more than enough. Perhaps it's our desire to plan out the five-year plan and 10-year plan. And God, you better show up and give me that stamp of approval. But what if he's giving you, go find Peter and Joppa. Wait, wait, what happens after go find Peter and Joppa? That's the journey. That's the adventure. That's the faith. That's the courage that God is opening us up to. God, well, God is inviting Cornelius to be able to see. Friends, are you missing his voice? As you think about the ways in which he want, you want him to show up in your life, are you missing his voice perhaps? Because it is not that stamp of approval of your five-year plan for you. Are you missing his voice because you are busy chasing after your own idols to make sense of your life? He is not feeding and serving you enough, and hence you are missing his voice that's crying out to you to say, I want you to follow me here. Could it be that he is all around you? Could it be that through the voice of your friends, of your pastors, through your community, that he is speaking through you, and yet this isn't the voice that I was expecting? This is not the reward that I'm looking for. The way God calls Cornelius then, it just might be simply go find Peter and Joppa and that might be the voice for you today. For some of you, maybe it is like the rich young ruler, go sell everything. 
For some of you, it might be go find Peter and Jehoppa. What is that for you? What might be that for you? And what happens as you live your life following the pattern, following the voice of go find Peter and Joppa? Let's take a look here. What happens to Cornelius as he goes and finds Peter and Joppa? And this leads to my last point. He invites him to live for him. There's a section that I skipped uh, in the middle of this. Uh, verse 9 to 30. And I want to encourage you to read that at home if you have the chance to. But let me just summarize it for you this way. So leading up to this point, right? angel shows up. Cornelius, what is he going to say? Go find Peter and Joppa. So now what is happening in Joppa? Now the scene cuts to Peter in Joppa. And he has a vision himself. He has that 3 p.m. vision himself. And in that vision, God shows up and tells Peter to eat what was all throughout Jewish history considered to be unclean. Go kill and eat. And it's disorienting for Peter, as you would imagine. God says in the vision, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. As Peter is saying, wait, wait, what is this? You know that according to the Mosaic law, I'm not supposed to eat these animals, but God is saying, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. So Peter walks away being confused. Okay, what do I do with this? What is this vision? Did I just dream this for no reason? Or is this indeed from God? While he is in that mode, then Peter encounters these men that Cornelius sent over. Remember? Men that were sent over and they're knocking on Peter's door. And Peter opens the door. Who are you? Well, we're sent by uh, Cornelius. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a Roman sentry over there in the Italian cohort. Um, I, you don't know why we're here, but he sent us here to go find you in Joppa. So here we are. What do you have for us? And Peter's confused too. And then it's like, oh, okay. And then they escort him too then back to Caesarea. From Joppa to Caesarea. And on that road, he then goes and actually sees Cornelius face to face. And it is in that moment, something clicked for Peter. Seeing a non-Jew, a Gentile, hungering for the gospel, could it be that God is calling me, Peter, to recognize my blind spots as I see another brother who is a Gentile, hungry to hear from God, just as I am? That perhaps what separates me, Peter, from Cornelius here is not clean versus unclean, Jewish versus Gentile, but perhaps I am being convicted by the Holy Spirit to see the common denominator between myself and this brother Cornelius, which is that we are made in the image of God and we are hungering for the good news. Could it be that that is what is happening in my life right now? Through that vision, what God called clean, do not call unclean. Ironically, in this moment, Peter is having his conversion experience. And to that, Peter says in verse 28, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And to that, and that's where the passage picks up, Cornelius responds this way in verse 30. Read with me starting from there. Through all of that interaction, verse 30, and Cornelius said, hey, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house by, at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and behold, 
a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I send for you at once, Peter, and you have been kind enough to come to Caesarea. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. You see the ironic beauty here? A Gentile naming, we are in the presence of God to hear what you have to say for the Apostle Peter. Peter sees something, then through this interaction, something that he could have never seen on his own through this personal encounter with the Gentile. Friends, this is what happens when we hear his call and recognize him and follow him and respond to him, which is he orchestrates everything for his own glory and for our good and for the good of our neighbors. And that is our reward. That is our prosperity. Where the reward of life is God himself. Not because he is useful, but as Tim Keller says, but because he is worthy and beautiful and we get to encounter him as he leads us to see things that we could not see on our own. As we journey with him, see things that our eyes could not be opened by ourselves and for the other. The Cornelius and the Peter interaction to happen in our lives. That is our prosperity. That is our reward. And that's also the cost of following Jesus and laying down your plans and rights. Yet the joy and the adventure, the faith, the courage, and unshakable hope and the thrill of following Jesus as he calls us and let us be recognized and sends us. I want that life. Don't you want that life? Don't you want these adjectives to be then describing your life, joy, adventure, faith, courage, unshakable hope, and the thrill, yes, is costly. It means to lay down your idols. It means to lay down your rights. It means to lay down your five-year plan and to 10-year plans. But perhaps that's the door that we get to open to the joy and the adventure of following Jesus. Now then, how do we own this then? How does this actually become the way of our lives? And here's the good news. Here's the good news. And here's the key to open the door to that good news. It's actually embedded in verse one again. So let's go back there. The way this man Cornelius is described here, verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. How does this, all of this, how does all of this adventure, how does all of wanting to hear from him and responding to him in faith become our reality with good news of the gospel? It's here. And let me try to illustrate it this way. I know the NBA season has passed, uh, but I'm in the Bay Area, so I feel like I'm, I have to make some kind of Golden State uh, analogy here. So let's say next year, okay, it's the Warriors versus um celtics let's say that um that could actually be a reality next year so as you're watching this game live 
it's game six or whatever the case might be. And then there's this no-name player. He erupts for 30 points. And now ESPN, ESPN is now trying to figure out, okay, where does this guy come from? We got to have information on him. And they're reporting him and then saying, here he is going off for 30 points. And he's from this no-name college, really small basketball program. He went overseas. He was undrafted. And now look at him. He's going for 30. Now, is it an accurate description of who he is and what he has done in his career? Yes. But in the context of what is happening in that live TV moment, what is the message? What is the point? He doesn't belong here. We shouldn't be seeing him live on TV. That's the message. Verse 1, as Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Is it an accurate description of who Cornelius is and his career? Yes, it is. But in the context of what Luke is trying to capture here in the book of Acts, is what? He doesn't belong here. He's a Gentile. He's a stranger to God. He does not belong here. We shouldn't be reading about him in scripture. We shouldn't know his name. That's the point. We shouldn't be seeing him on live TV. Friends, if you understand that, if you can tap into the heart of that reality, that I'm unworthy, I'm a stranger to God. As we sang earlier too, Jesus sought me when a stranger. If I'm the outsider, unless an insider opens a door for me to then enter in and to be known and recognized as the son, as a daughter of the living God, then I am nothing. I'm an outsider. I don't belong here. I shouldn't be recognized. Friends, if you understand that reality, the ultimate insider who laid down his life for you, his life, death, and resurrection to be able to give you that bridge to then enter in that grace. Otherwise, we don't belong here. If you understand that part of the gospel, friends, this is a joyous door that we can open. Why is Christianity about, you know, what I can't do and, and, and I, gotta, I gotta give up all of my rights? If you know that you've been called by the living God when you least deserve it, and the ultimate insider has come and laid down that bridge for you to be able to enter in as the son and a daughter of God, then that door that he is opening for you to then be able to find that joy and adventure and faith and courage in this life, even though we're walking through a sea of unknowns, you can open that door, not as a way of limiting your life. It's a portal through which you can then experience the infinite nature of who God is. It's a door that you get to open for the fullness of life that you wouldn't otherwise be able to tap into on your own. That's the heart of the gospel that allows us to see the story of Cornelius as the good news. Oh, the good news should have been Cornelius, you have been promoted. No, no, this is the good news. Cornelius, here I'm giving you the next immediate step in your life. Go find Peter and Joppa. That's a door. For us to then experience more of who he is and the joy and the adventure that comes with that.
I'll just share a little bit about um, what this means for me personally. Our church actually went through a huge leadership crisis uh, not too long ago. Um, in the middle of COVID too, in the beginning of COVID. Uh, and it upended a lot of things. So it was very disorienting for my own life and many people in our church as well. And as I am going through even my own journey of healing and to lead the congregation to then walk through that healing journey myself, I'm realizing a lot about the fact that I am in this boat right now. I'm just three months into my role. The place that God has me here is what, what is this disruption that what is this thing that broke through and ruined my five-year, 10-year plan? As I think about that reality and the disruption that came, and I step away and realize that's what COVID did for many of us too. COVID was that disruption that said, what is going to happen to my life, to my community, to my church, to this world? And then I step away even more and recognizing all throughout scripture, it's all about God disrupting our lives. Whatever your plan was, here it is. And the joy and the scary reality of following God, and yet that's the adventure that he launches us into over and over again. Rarely is it about stamp of approval for our five-year plan and 10-year plan. So in some ways, my own reality of here, and you guys all know, you have your own experience of what this is like. This is a disruption. This screwed up my life, or whatever the case might be. This disorientation that happened. And we move away and realize COVID was that for a lot of us. And we move away and realize that's what life is supposed to be. All of this, perhaps, is not a disruption that ruined our plans. But what if this is a door through which we get to experience more of who he is? That life was always meant to be about trusting in Jesus and walking one step at a time with him, not asking for his five-year, 10-year approval plan. What if that's happening in your life? Whatever this reality is for you and for me, an ongoing reality of that too. As we step back in the reality of humanity during COVID, as we step back and realize the pattern of scripture all throughout, which is God disrupts all kinds of things. But what if that is actually an invitation for us to experience more of Jesus? That's scary. But it's kind of fun too. It's kind of weird. It goes against our nature. Perhaps many of you in your disposition in your natural desire to then plan and figure out your life. But what if it's the good news of go find Peter and Joppa? And that's more than enough for us. Can we consider that this morning? To yearn for him to come up, show up, reveal himself, yes. But then when he gives us the word, go find Peter and Joppa, that next immediate step in your life. And you will be able to open that door with probably fear too, but courage and faith and the adventure, the joy that we can launch into as a result of that. May we then live like Cornelius, 
And as a result of that, Peter, where our eyes get opened in ways that we cannot do on our own. But because we are opening that door of go find Peter and Joppa, we discover more of who Jesus is, the ultimate insider who has extended himself to give us the invitation into his kingdom and then some as we journey with him. Let's pray together.